Hello and welcome to I Was Just Wondering with me, Tom Salmon, the show that dives into music, film and games and everything else in between. My guest on this week's show is the freelance writer and brand consultant, Ali George Hankins. So for people who aren't familiar with you and your work in the technical outerwear and workwear industry, who are you and what do you do? Okay, so um, yeah, I'm Ali and I'm a writer and I consult for, I um, consult for a number of brands in the industry that I work in um, and that does sound a little bit more glamorous than it is, so that might just be me, um, you know, kind of doing press work yeah. um, and that kind of thing. But yeah, I mean, technical technical um, clothing, so anything that, any like kind of garment that has a purpose um, and yeah, some some kind of element of functionality. So whether that's um, without sounding really boring, something that's waterproof, or you know that just just has like a, a general fu- a general purpose in day to day kind of day to day situation. Yeah, and that's the thing to sort of draw attention to. I guess like with technical outwear, it's actually serving like a, a like a purpose in a way rather than just like a regular. I'm trying to think. Um, because this stuff can be very like high end, but also um, with like high end fashion in terms of like technical design, it has to mm-hmm. like keep you warm. It has to keep you uh, dry, that kind of thing. You have to be able to move in it. That's I guess that's a differentiator. Yeah, exactly that. I mean, you know, you've got to kind of think that the yeah. So the industry I work in is kind of, and the brands that I write about on slash I'm interested in is anything from like high end high-end designers that um, use like technical nylon so like um, like Prada or you know even down to really entry-level basic stuff like you know the kind of thing you might see in like your local mountain warehouse or whatever mm-hmm. it's you know it's all one side of the same coin um, so yeah that kind of that's kind of um, the best way to put what technical technical clothing is um, like Tom said it's something that might be waterproof and it's designed to um, work with sort of like move with the wearer's body um, and whatnot. And just to frame the conversation in terms of brands that people might hear have sort of heard of, we'll obviously get into the yep. more, uh, uh, I guess, like the more high end sort of stuff that people aren't so aware of. But I guess stuff like uh, Solomon, which started in 1947, then the North Face, which started in yep. 1968, and then you've got Patagonia, which started in 1973. I guess, are they the. I mean, are they like the big three still uh, in terms of this sort of like space? Yeah, I mean, I'd say so. I mean, in the, specifically in this in the space that I work in, it's quite niche. Um, so it's more of like a technical outdoors um, space. So yeah, like you said, Solomon's quite a big one. Um, Arcteryx, you know, and there's other mm. there's loads of sort of Japanese and Asian brands like Snow Peak and Wanda. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're you know, there's there's brands from all over the world that have been you know one like Heli Hansen, for example, has been going since like. Um, 1894 or something so you know it goes back pretty far Um, and it's quite interesting if you kind of look into the history of it it's you know from what it started as of people um you know using just really obscure ways of waterproofing garments to what we do now and it's you know it's just kind of mind-boggling but i'm sure that's something we'll get into a little bit later on and like how um like my interest in um sort of like fabrics and whatnot but Yeah. yeah it kind of gives you a gist that there's yeah, you know, thousands, if not tens of thousands, of brands from all over the world, all doing their own kind of thing. Right. Um, in the space, it's just a really exciting sort of industry to be working in. So, I just want to jump into the first topic, and that was developing your taste. Yep. So, growing up, I feel like boys mostly gravitate towards 
sports, music and gaming to find a sense of identity and community. So what was it for you about fashion and clothing which pulled you in a different direction? Yeah, I mean, that's, that is quite a good that is good. That is quite a good question. But um, I would I would kind of say that I was sort of interested in um those like typical boy sort of activities growing up so i was you know like a from about i don't know the age of maybe like 10 to like 13 or 14 i was you know pretty heavy on the playstation as my family will probably attest to um and then so yeah kind of from there like i was got into music a little bit so um artists like kanye asap rocky tyler the creator kind of odd future and all that that kind of pulled me in the direction of um like fashion and sort of like personal style um so yeah i mean i was definitely into i was quite into music i still am quite into music like i love you know all kinds of different artists and whatnot um but yeah i think that definitely opened up my eyes to this sort of whole world of you know personal style Mm. and like not just personal style but like um like garment design and just you know interesting i'm trying to sort of frame it in a way that's not going to sound like i just I just like clothes, but right, you know, yeah. in the purest kind of sense, I do. I'm just really like a big enthusiast in. Mm. I'm a big enthusiast for for clothes, but um, so yeah. Well, let me frame this a different way then for you. So, in, in sense of like you're into sure. music and sport and gaming, um, so you could have started a career in writing about, I guess, like sports or music or gaming, something you became really interested yeah. and obsessed about. So, what was the, I guess, like what was the special thing about clothing? You're like, oh, I have to write about this rather than those, or I say write about because that's what you ended up doing. But I mean, what what was it about that particular clothing in a sense that sort of trumped those other those other things for you? Yeah, um, I, I would say it's, I think clothing is just, for me, is just the most, one of the most accessible sort of forms of um, self-expression. And I was always quite, I think that was, that's the way that I've sort of mainly expressed myself creatively, mm-hmm. um, even though my style's quite vanilla and plain, but um, I've just always, just always really enjoyed um, clothing. I don't, re- I don't really know why I gravitated it, gravitated towards yeah. it so much, but I think it's just one of those things that people, you know, everyone just naturally gravitates to something different. Yeah. You know, some people love sport. Um, and you know, some people just love music and whatnot. And some people love, um, clothing like me. So, okay. um, yeah, that's kind of, that's kind of, it, it was just a really natural, um, kind of thing that I fell into is not, mm. there's not like one particular thing that I can pinpoint, um, that might have pulled me in this direction, but you know, I kind of joined the industry. I kind of entered the industry just because I was really interested in um, clothing and style. Mm. Um, so yeah, and I kind of just wanted an outlet to um, to you know obviously express that alongside um, what I wore. Um, so I just want to pick up on a um, previous interview you did with um, MK's Archive, where yep. you said your gateway into the space was through a Supreme Style Island collaboration. Uh, and I went looking through them and I scrolled through and I found the Spring Summer 2015 collection, which used yeah. an innovative uh, fabric called Metal Nylon. I'm not sure if that was the thing that, w- that actually specifically was the one that got you into it. Um, but it was interesting because it was using this futuristic fabric. And so how did learning about fabric production at that time influence you? Yeah, I mean, it, it, yeah, it's quite an inter- It's quite a funny one, really, because I was um, around like 2015. I was really into um, brands like Supreme. So you know, for those that aren't familiar with with them, um, it's quite like a big street slash skatewear brand. Like probably one of the one of the biggest 
um, brands and one that immediately yeah. comes to a lot of people's attention when you start talking about streetwear. Um, so yeah, for them to do like a collaboration with someone like Stone Island who are really, um, have got their foot in like the, um, sort of like innovative, mm. um, like, like innovative fabric, um, industry. Um, they've been like pushing the boundaries of innovation for like probably like 30 years up until the point of 2015. Yeah. Um, so I just thought the sort of a collaboration was really interesting because they just seemed like a complete polar opposites with each other. Mm. Um, and yeah, and it kind of just opened my eyes to this whole world of, um, you know, sort of garments that have a have a purpose beyond just being um, something to look at, if that makes sense. Yeah. Because obviously a lot of the stuff I was wearing beforehand was just um, was just designed for an aesthetic purpose, mm. where if a lot of these things were designed to be functional um in some sense and i think one of the later collaborations they did used a material that's like a thermosensitive one yeah yeah um, i saw that one yeah so you like put your hand to it and it changes color depending on um whether it's um hot or cold so that was mm. you know that was that kind of blew my mind at that point because i'd never seen anything like it before around that time in 2015 if you wanted yeah. to find about more technical information about clothing what are some of the resources that you'd go and look to at that point uh i mean there's always been like um I'm not entirely sure about like online resources, but I know that mm. I've got like a couple of books that right. are literally just like fashion design textbooks. Um, and they're, um, you know, they're kind of based on like sportswear and stuff. Right. Um, and I think they're, I think they were released maybe like 10, 15, like 15, 20 years ago. They're quite, um, not old in that sense, but you know, they're quite, um, they're pretty biblical to me. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, I don't really remember, um, looking up for um yeah i kind of just remember going on like the stone on a website and looking through uh because i think they used to do like a breakdown of all their materials and stuff like that so a lot of the um okay. resources out there were kind of just um more like educational mm -hmm. um as opposed to like well like educational informational as opposed to um like a i don't know i'm trying to like strike a balance between it being education and like somewhat interesting at the same time like a i don't know like a heist nobiety article or something like right, that right right something right. that someone's kind of put their spin on um whereas before it was kind of just like um like re like you know kind of facts and facts and figures i'd say and i guess with like um stone island we could maybe speak to about the history the guy who started it originally started doing military wear i think that's where a lot of the garments and fabrics kind of came from and then he crossed over and then this is a bit tangential but then it into sort of terrace football terrace like casual culture was a big thing with that stone island as well yeah definitely yeah i mean i i mean i'm not like 100 percent sure on all the origins and whatnot but i know that um a lot of massimo Osti's designs were kind of inspired by um like military wear work mm. where honestly like all sorts of all sorts of random stuff like um uniforms from like people that worked in like cleaners and stuff just you know all sorts of places but yeah. um um but yeah i mean the crossover is really interesting like mm. it's just one of those brands that seems to have gone um just gone through its own really interesting history so mm. stone island has kind of long been associated with like terrace culture yeah um and whatnot um but then there's you know there's just these they're really devoted to the brand and it's um and you know these are people that you know these are people that discover the brand where they were probably like in their 
I don't know, teens and now they're like in their forties and fifties and yeah. they're still um they're still like really connected with the brand. It's just it's got such like a loyal following. Just sort of moving forward a little bit, um I feel early on people in this space, um, in the streetwear space and outwear space kind of make a choice to go full hype beast or swag beast in a sense of following their own niche interests. So how okay. did you choose which direction to go in? Oh yeah, that is a good question. Um to be honest, like, yeah, I don't know. I mean, if we kind of, if we kind of talk about like my style, my style has mm. probably been the same for like the last seven years. Like, it, it's just really, it's just really like uniforms. It's not. So I wouldn't really say that my style would, was kind of went down its own, kind of went down a route that was either influenced by it, um, either like the hype beast or swag beast. But yeah, you know. Um, yeah, I mean, Hypebeast, I did really like Supreme and, you know, mm. those kind of brands. So a lot of the brands I was into were kind of in the Hypebeast space, but I, space, but I wasn't, definitely wasn't a Hypebeast myself. Right. Well, there is that thing, I guess, with like Hypebeast and because it has, like it is like, uh, it's almost like sort of pop music. Like I quite enjoy pop music because it is definitely at the cutting edge of sort of culture. It's mm. a thing that most people are talking about. It may not be the most worthwhile or, or the best, but there's something of that's uh, the, the allure, the sparkle of the new um, and, and chasing that. And I was thinking about the same uh, question about people that are hype beast that are perpetually following the new. And then I guess like the swag beast, which I actually found an urban dictionary, which was created in 2010. And I'm not sure if that's actually like okay. a proper, a proper term for it. But again, it was like people who then follow their own uh, niche interests in terms of like digging deeper into the culture into, as you say, uh, into other more innovative uh, brands doing more interesting things, but aren't, and don't necessarily have like the cachet or the pop culture um, to them at that particular point. Um, the one thing I'd sort of point to is when Drake and Virgil Bioli were wearing the Arterix jackets, um, which really uh, popped off that brand. And um, um, and then I guess that made that sort of brought that particular brand to the forefront, forefront where perhaps it wasn't before. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that was definitely a big moment. Um, yeah, that was definitely a big moment in kind of like the technical outdoor space because a lot of people were, um, you know, that a lot of people through... Um, throw up a lot of fuss about that um as you might expect with yeah you know kind of people you know things that are niche um and that they might be seeing me in the underground so they kind of get brought to the forefront and you know a lot of those people that have been following it for a long time don't really don't really like that or don't necessarily agree with it being thrust into such like a um mm. into a spotlight which i can kind of understand but um you know on the surface level you've you know yeah, I can kind of understand why people um, feel that way about certain things being exposed, um, especially when, you know, some people are wearing these things for a, a specific purpose. Mm. And then, you know, you get people like Virgil that put it on a runway and they yeah. cut it in half and it's sort of like, OK, well, you know, you know, like you've cut a jacket in half that's supposed to be waterproof and, you know, supposed to help people when they're mountaineering or whatever. Mm. And um yeah, that definitely caused quite a stir, <laughs> to say the least. That is interesting because I watched a short video about it and he didn't even ask um, Arterix to do that. He just basically took those clothes and and did that himself. It wasn't even like a collab or anything. Oh, um, really? Yeah, and it came from a base. So as Finch, um, what I found out that he was really into snowboarding and that's how he got into it and found out about that particular brand. And I guess with someone like him, 
I'm thinking like he, as someone who designs uh, clothes and apparel, or did because um, he sadly passed away. But there must be a sort of technical appreciation from him that he kind of understands those garments in a way that perhaps people who are jumping onto that hype train don't. Because I guess like, he gets a more, I guess, like design or technical insight to these garments where people just see him wearing that hype beast and like, oh, I've got to get that because he he's wearing that rather than maybe appreciate it on a on a deeper. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I definitely agree with you there. I mean from like a design perspective Virgil probably you know wanted to wanted to sort of play with these things mm. because um you know because you know because he could I mean sort of when you cut a jacket open you sort of probably understand a bit more about you know the composition to it um and whatnot so that probably quite interested him mm. um and to sort of put it in a um, like an environment of his own um, mm. that he's in, so that sort of like the high fashion space. Um, it kind of makes sense, to be honest. So on a more practical side of things, growing up in Oxfordshire, a more rural part of the UK, um, can you remember buying your first serious piece of technical outwear and feeling the real world benefits of it? Yeah, I can remember. And it's not really like, it's probably not, it's probably the least exciting thing that, that I've ever bought. And it's just a Uniqlo um like it's just like a Uniqlo down puffer jacket, uh, like a Uniqlo down jacket. Yeah. Um, which to some people listening, they might just think, like, how is that? How is that like the most serious? How is that like the first serious piece of technical outerwear that I bought? But mm. like it genuinely was. Like I've never, I've never been like up until that point. I've never owned anything that was like seriously warm or, um, or whatever. And you know, for the price it was as well. It just, um. It was just, it was just really interesting to me. Um, but yeah, the real world benefits of it. I mean, first of all, it was, it was, it was pretty cheap, so that that always helps. Yeah. Um, and you know, I've still got it to this day, so it's obviously durable to an extent. Um, it's and it's ridiculously warm, and you know, it kind of just one of those things that does everything that I need it to. Um, and yeah, and I think from there, I mean, I owned that jacket for like, I don't know, maybe maybe like three or four years before buying like another piece of like technical outerwear just because I wasn't just because like I've like I financially wasn't in a position to like buy anything that was sort of my taste yeah. um that's the kind of difficult thing with a lot of the stuff I'm interested in is that it's it's quite it's quite expensive mm. um um but yeah I mean it doesn't mean it it doesn't necessarily mean it's inaccessible because there are sort of alternatives out there like I like I said Uniqlo um mm. but yeah I mean I kind of was I guess I was hooked from then to be honest. I guess like what kind of sort of situations were you right? What was the I guess like what was the first situation where you put on your puffer and then you went out and you're like, oh like this is a different world. Like <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um when it was probably a couple of years after buying it and my partner and I went to New York and it was like November yeah. around Thanksgiving and it was maybe like minus nine and mm. it was seriously cold. It was seriously windy. And I was just thinking, like, okay, now, now I can understand. Now I can kind of truly appreciate what this jacket's done for me. Yeah. Um, you know, keeping me really warm in the middle of a New York winter. Luckily, it wasn't snowing. Otherwise, I might have, you know, might have had something else to say. But yeah, I really appreciated it from then on. Um, mm. And I kind of just opened my eyes to like sort of the power, I'd say, of like of like clothing because you know you just think a lot of people just think, oh, it's just you know, it's just a jacket and whatever. But mm. when you start to kind of like understand how these things are made um, and like their true purpose and, you know, everything that goes into 
um, a piece of outerwear. It's just it's it's pretty incredible, to be honest. Well, I just wanted to sort of jump into a little bit into because I understand you've got is it two separate Instagram accounts? So you've got the Ali George Henkins one, and you've also got the three hundred seven hundred store. No, That's yeah, th- no, three hundred seven hundred isn't actually. Is that um, not isn't you? Actually, me. That's just a friend of mine. Oh, okay, all right. Because yeah, I did wonder. I was like, oh, yeah. because it lists your website. And that's originally how I found you through that because that had been reposted, and then I found your actual Instagram and your website. Oh, okay, right. So that makes sense. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, shout out to your friend's uh, Instagram account. It, it, also, um, pretty incredible. Um, well, he just posted actually a piece um, by Burton analog and the sony uh, clone md um, which was designed by um i'm probably going to butcher the name because i'm dyslexic but it's um arrelson hughes um company's amacrombie Amo- uh, acronym i think acronym okay yes the dyslexia in full effect there um <laughs> one of the, right. yeah one of the interesting things about it though um with a bit of blurb that was written underneath was it was influenced that particular jacket was influenced by um, the stormtroopers in Star Wars due to the pocket design on, on the front and what that kind of made me think I mean some of the things that you talk about and list on your own Instagram page it is influenced by sort of science fiction to a certain extent um, and maybe like a little bit dystopian in a, in a way and I wondered if uh, in those sort of references even though they didn't influence your design if you could talk a little bit about maybe a particular album or film or artist outside of influencing your um influence your taste and design that you could sort of speak about yeah. a little bit yeah i mean i'm just trying to think of like a film i mean yeah i mean like you said there is definitely like i've there is definitely like a crossover between science fiction um films um in sort of like a lot of the design that i appreciate i'm just trying to think maybe like i'm trying to think of something that really stands out possibly something like 2001 a space odyssey mm-hmm. um by stanley kubrick because i yeah. remember they did a um, Undercover, which the Japanese brand did a collection based on it, mm-hmm. um, and the you know I was just sort of looking at the visuals of it, um, and yeah, I mean like growing up, I was a, growing up, and I still am a huge fan of Star Wars, so like a lot of the unif- a lot of like the costume in that um, was really interesting. I think I've done, I think I might have done like a, um, I did like a little series on my Instagram for a little while, which was um, costume designing films and kind of. Um, like who designed it and you know that kind of thing like the inspiration and maybe like even highlight garments that are in the technical outerwear space um, and kind of like pick out the contrast between those costumes and um, and whatnot so that's quite always quite an interesting crossover sort of film and um, film and fashion Mm. Um, so yeah I mean like I guess yeah I mean when I think about like Star Wars was like a big one um, I've always loved like that kind of like utility um, like utilitarian look so yeah. like um like pockets um all that kind of thing there's another one as well um that had really great costume design called i think it was one of the alien films i can't remember which one it was um and some of it was designed was designed by craig green okay um so yeah it's just yeah it's really interesting and i'm glad you asked me that question because it actually made me kind of think that look back on all these sort of like um points that you know i might have otherwise I'm not really thought about. Um, so just moving on to topic two, getting started in fashion. Um, so back in 2015, you graduated from school with A-levels in geography, sociology and media studies. So what kind of career plan did you kind of have sort of mapped out for yourself at that point? Uh, I mean, yeah, when I was, I mean, I, I always liked, I was kind of always interested in fashion, even before, um, even before I 
finished school um and i didn't really foresee like a future in this industry because mm. first of all i didn't really want to go to university so that was kind of off the cards um and when i was younger i didn't really like like you know i didn't study fashion so i have no idea how how the industry worked like i didn't know what jobs there were like if you just said to me like oh you can do like pr i would have no idea what that is yeah. um so yeah i kind of thought like the only avenue would have been to be like a fashion designer right. and you know i had no at the time i had like no creative kind of um vision in that sense uh-huh. i kind of appreciated things but i had no like idea on how you would design a garment or whatever yeah um but i was but i loved you know geography and human geography and all that kind of thing to a people um so i kind of my kind of career plan at that time was to um was to get either get a job at my local council which sounds really awful or to get like an apprenticeship in yeah um in like planning or like surveying or something like that mm-hmm. um so yeah it's kind of a world away from what i'm doing now um so i just want to ask you at that time and this is a bit of like a political question it's something that's been on my mind a little bit but as a young person back in 2015 were you pretty like optimistic about the country and even though you didn't know exactly what you wanted to do did you feel there was opportunity for you or was it you know a bit more were you a bit more sort of depressed about things yeah i mean i mean yeah back in 2015 i was really i was really into politics like i used to that was that could have been something that I foresaw, that I foresaw as well, like maybe getting into politics because you know I was really um, not like active on like a local level, but you know I was really engaged in what was going on in like the country around me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, there was a general election at a time that we probably all know. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, was I? Oh, no, unfortunately, I couldn't vote. I was too young to vote, so right. that would have been that would have been nice. But um, yeah, um, I don't really. I think yeah, I'm just trying to trying to think from like a political political standpoint what what my thoughts were on the future of the country probably pretty bleak to be honest (laughs) yeah i mean they didn't really change to to be honest um yeah i well i try not to uh, i try to be positive and i try to be optimistic um and then i guess like you just deal with the eventual financial fallouts that sort of these uh, perpetual huge breaking waves that seem to just roll over generationally generationally um as they seem to do um, so around that time, I know you spent some time working as a sales and a design assistant and sort of on a day-to-day level, what did that teach you about working with the customers and clients? Yeah, I mean, that was, um, that was a couple of, that was quite a few years later. That was kind oh, of okay. 2019 to 2020 that time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, working with kind of class, I mean, it, yeah, I'm just trying to, I think it just kind of taught, I think it was more like a, it was more, I didn't really learn much, I'd say from, not to sound like a bit of an ass, but I didn't really learn much from like customers or clients, mm-hmm. to be honest. But it was kind of like a hand, being hands on with um, like clothes and talking to people who were also interested in similar things to me, kind of gave me a space to um, sort of like facilitate what I was, you know, what I was interested in and sort of giving me the chance, giving me the opportunity and space to grow right. um, sort of within the industry and sort of try and find my feet. Um, so yeah, for the design assistant result, des- for, sorry, design assistant role. Yeah. Um, it was for like a local, it was like a um, independent menswear company that was like, that I discovered that was literally just down the road from me. Mm-hmm. So my dad and I drove past the offices once and we just kind of looked up what it was 
um yeah we found out it was like this local company and my dad was like well, why don't you like why don't you email them or like message them or something and apply for a job so i did i got yeah. a job um with them for a, nearly a year um, yeah, yeah and yeah i mean they were like they were des- you know they they were um they did it they worked on a lot of outerwear which was really interesting um and my boss had like this huge archive um at our workplace and he had like i don't know maybe like 50 jackets or something and it just oh, used wow. to um i think it was more just being surrounded by clothing and people and like designers that really got me interested in the space mm-hmm. um yeah and i definitely learned a lot from working working with those two um um but yeah i mean i used to i used to on my lunch break and stuff i just used to like look at all these you know pieces of design they mm-hmm. were sort of all like old military stuff um like old denim um and old like workwear bits um you just like look at all these sort of like things from like 50 60 years ago and you oh, think wow. it's just pretty mind-blowing to be honest and then you look yeah. where we are now and you kind of think like oh not too far from where we've come but yeah you know things have advanced a lot but um a lot of the time the core kind of silhouette remains the same mm. and you know things change in between the lines and one question I was thinking about in preparation to this was the fact that a lot of times when we view fashion for the first time, it may be on Instagram, it may be in a video, it may be on a catwalk, it may be on a mountain somewhere um, where they've sort of constructed these images to show off these pieces of clothing. And then you actually have them on a rack and then somebody actually has to pick them up and like feel them and actually put them on. And the people that are putting them on aren't the models, they aren't the um, ultra athletes, the skiers, the adventurers. And I just wonder when it's brought into like a more um i guess like mundane space not to be rude with normal people did that sort of change your appreciation as well to see this just being worn by like regular people yeah maybe a little bit i mean um it's just kind of interesting seeing like people um look at garments as like a reference and yeah um you know try things on and that you know they're designing around these gar- they're designing around these pieces of clothing like these vintage pieces of clothing hmm. um um so yeah the, yeah i mean it was just it's just fascinating to me seeing people kind of you know use you know look at look at something that you know like like you said is maybe like a seemingly mundane hmm. Um, thing and kind of making something new out of it um also so around that time you see, you spoke about it a little briefly you were writing well i say around that time um you at one point you were writing for intelligence magazine uh pause magazine so what was the learning curve writing copy for those online publications um for like a tiny little bit of background yeah. i started after i finished school in 2015 i started my own website mm-hmm. um, and i did that did that for about a year and then from then i um, started like reaching out to all sorts of, like magazines, like the ones we just mentioned, magazines, yeah. uh, retailers, brands, um, you know, and anyone kind of in the space that I could write for. Um, so yeah, I mean, like, there wasn't really much learning curve to be honest because I'd yeah. been doing it previously on my website. It was kind of just like an extension of that, um, but in line with their kind of editorial vision. Right. Um, you know, working for those three um brand especially intelligence magazine i mean that was like um that was definitely like a big driving force and it kind of shaped a lot of my interests in what they are today right um so yeah i mean i wouldn't say there was much learning curve to be honest because i'd already i was already a little bit slightly versed in it right um but it was kind of different in 
um, more of like a professional sense mm-hmm. because I'd gone from just writing personally for my own website to um, like being sent stuff by an editor, um, like having actual deadlines to meet. That's yeah. pretty. That's pretty daunting when you're still relatively young and your first job in the industry is someone kind of sending you these um, briefs that you need to you know do as soon as possible yeah yeah well we'll get onto that like a little bit uh later um yeah. ju- so just around that time for people to put into context and uh, you've spoken about this before in other interviews but um i assume that you found these people through like linkedin instagram you know how did you kind of get your foot into the door to talk to these people and write for them yeah i mean uh, um yeah like you, you know i've said in other interviews and podcasts and whatnot that i've used to um use linkedin i used to rinse linkedin so much for for what it can do like i you know i'm a big believer in that it's a really good tool for people that trying to that people that are trying to get their foot in the industry yeah um especially with the fact that you can literally just google you know search a company um and then, you know find employees and just message them and whatnot mm-hmm. yeah um but yeah and instagram as well was amazing for mm. just sending people dms and sort of saying like um can I write for you? Yeah. Um, and whatnot. So yeah, I was definitely use those tools to my, to my advantage. And would you send them writing samples or would you just send them like links to your website and say, Hey, look at this. This is what I've done. Can I do the similar for you? Yeah, pretty much to be honest. I mean, I had a, I don't think I had a, um, don't think I had like a, um, like a proper portfolio at the time. So it would have just been a case of me sending over, um, links of my previous work. Mm. Um, and yeah i mean in hindsight that is i mean it's okay once you kind of like have made a name for yourself in the industry but i think if you can um it's definitely worthwhile building a proper portfolio yeah. i mean i did have a portfolio but like a like a proper pdf that you can send people instead of mm. just um sending over links because it doesn't you know it doesn't look the best right, right. in my opinion um, so just following on from that question, an almost complete contrast to sort of mainstream publications, you also became the senior writer. And again, my dyslexia may kick in here. Um, <laughs> um, but Sabakura online? I think it's I think it's Sabukaru. That's that's what I've always known it as. <laughs> okay, great. Well, we'll go. Um, we'll definitely go with uh, with you on the that one. I uh, wouldn't trust me okay. uh, with words. And also, this is very exciting to me. But so, why was it important for you to write articles like Silk Node, the uh, shifting cultural power structures? Uh, I would love to say that I'm the senior writer for Sabukaru, but there's there's a hand, there's a you know a fairly I don't know how big the team is, and there's like yeah. 20, 20 writers in total. So I'm one of one of maybe like eight senior writers. Um, but yeah, I mean, why is it important? I think it's just a, um, for a little bit of background, Silk Node is like a, um, this is really bad. I should probably know the best way to describe it, seeing as I only wrote the article earlier this year. Um, but Silk Node is a pay, it's like kind of like a platform that is, you know, like I said, like the title kind of says, like the title kind of says about shifting cultural power structures. So it's about kind of taking the power away, taking power and control away from, you know, like big, um, mm. big businesses in the industry. I'm um, like putting more control back into the hands of um, like the creator. So they're big, they're kind of big, heavy on Web3, which is yeah. something I have very little, very little oh, knowledge oh, of. Okay. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I've always just been, for Zabukari in particular, I've always just been really interested in writing, um, writing like long form pieces that are 
kind of really deep dives into either yeah. like designers um like psyche mm -hmm. in like an interview sense or um what else like you know like like the one i did with silk node just kind yeah. of like exploring what these platforms are like what their purpose is um yeah i mean i think that's where i really thrive is just um in like a writing in like a copywriting sense is just sort of go really deep into um into these kind of things and i think that a lot of that stems back into um like we had spoke about earlier when i first discovered that kind of stone island supreme thing and i had to go away and sort of know everything i did about it and i've yeah. always just been a real sucker for um like gathering and hoarding information in my head right um uh so yeah i mean yeah just another article i'm very very happy with well, it's very exciting because I, I read through the article uh, with Z, um, who's anonymous, I believe. Um, mm. And I guess what's interesting about like Silk Note, it's a multidisciplinary platform that actually comes with a white paper. And the reason why I like it, because I did, um, I did actually did a pod, uh, an interview, I should say, a podcast interview with a guy who does what Bitcoin did, which is a, basically a podcast about Bitcoin. So I got to deep dive into sort of decentralized networks and uh, cryptocurrency and stuff. Um, and I'd say what was interesting um, with Silk Note, because uh, I think it's essentially like it's a comic, it's an archive, and they're also designing their own clothing. Um, and they're also um, doing that for a decentralized uh, nature for a platform. I think they're going to launch or already have so that launched. Um, and it just seems a definitely, um, I guess, like a melting pot or a nexus for like all different kinds of like media in a, and i guess it's sort of remixed and reimagined um for i guess like i guess like for regular or for creative people they don't necessarily have to be in um sort of like huge cities or or anywhere you can kind of create anywhere and have an impact from anything and um mm -hmm. and it was sort of referencing the idea of the lost history of technology and design is that that's something you sort of spoke about the sense that you can go back and you can look at like oakley designs from like the 90s uh and beyond that kind of just sort of get swept away uh um and some really great ideas are kind of like nestled in there and it's very interesting that that particular platform but essentially is sort of breaking them apart and maybe sort of reusing them in a way yeah yeah i mean you've completely hit the nail on the head there you said that way better than i ever could have done but um but yeah i mean silkman is everything everything in that i mean they, mm. they're doing all sorts of so like like you said they're doing design they're doing um like curation of archive stuff it's just mm. just a really interesting um just a really interesting platforms. So a lot of it is like sort of Y2K yeah. um, design. So whether it's like um, sunglasses or like um, like footwear, it's just all kind of through the through a very clear cut um, clear cut and well defined aesthetic. So just moving on from that question, so there's a little bit of a two parter. So looking back on the time from 2015 to uh, 2020, what was your biggest success and failure around that time or in that time? And, and what did you learn from them? Um, it's not necessarily a it's not. Well, I mean, it could have been a failure, this one. Um, so I'll start with that. And I think the failure kind of has um, has kind of helped me sort of gain success i suppose um so the failure would have been maybe like between maybe it would have been like six to eight months after starting my website and i kind of yeah. thought i used to kind of look at analytics more and whatnot then and like my my site had relatively little to no traffic mm -hmm. um 
and I was kind of thinking like, you know, what's the point in, you know, there's virtually no point in doing this if I'm not going to, if no one's going to see it mm-hmm. um, and whatnot. And I said this to my partner and she was kind of like, okay, well, you can, you know, you can kind of stop if you want, but you're not, you know, it's not, it's not going to get you anywhere if you just give up. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, I kind of taken that on board um, and learning from that. I've kind of just always... I think that's really kind of helped my work ethic. I mean, I, I work, I like to think I work really hard, um, in what I do. Mm. Um, but yeah, biggest success. I'm not really, sh- I'm not really sure to be honest. There's been so many like highlights along the way, like, and I'm not, and I, I never really stop and kind of, um, I never really stop and kind of take check of as to what I've accomplished. I mean, I probably, I definitely should, but, Mm. I've never really sort of taken stock and pinpointed my big my biggest success. I think it's just, um, yeah, I think it's just a part of my mindset. I've just I'm not very good at kind of looking back at what I've done. I'm always I'm so caught up in the moment in yeah. doing what I'm doing now and probably chasing what I think is an idea of success mm. to um, you know, to kind of say what one is. I think. Hmm. Just let's let's try and think of one. Maybe I think I would. I think like yeah. I think my biggest success is probably just like being like a hundred percent independent. Like yeah. Um, I mean like like I've said, I've had jobs in the past, but like now I solely work for myself. I'm my own boss. Um, and everything. And I've kind of built up this, you know, client base. Mm-hmm. Um which you know i'm really proud of and like i work like i write for a number of great magazines i've done work for some like big brands whether it's in like the writing space or um like instagram space um editorial space or whatever so you know i'm kind of really proud of um pretty proud of that okay um but yeah i think yeah i think like i said i think i'm just one of my, my successes have kind of come down to my work ethic and you know, sort of just just working hard and putting in the mm. putting in the time in the right places where it, where it needs to be done. And also, the, speaking to your point, which I think is a very important um, thing that you raised in terms of that, there's so much data around to tell you, like potentially how successful or not successful you are. That you can get caught up on that of actually just getting on. Essentially, good work is good work, whether people see it or not. Doesn't really matter. The fact that you continue on, you put that work and the interest and energy into something is the important part. Yeah, definitely. And yeah. I think I think. I think that's kind of what my partner was trying to get through to me is that, you know, while, you know, while no one might be seeing it, it doesn't mean that it's not, Mm. it's not beneficial to you. And I think that's, you know, we live in a digital world where everyone's so caught up on numbers and and analytics are so sort of easy to look at and get bogged down. And you've just got to think a lot of the time, like, you know, I'm doing this for me. Like I'm not, I'm not out there trying to chase a number Mm. and I'm just, kind of do it i'm writing what i well a lot of the time i'm writing what i like i'm writing what i want because because it's genuinely what i'm interested in and you know i've been really lucky in this space as well to um to be working in like what is a relative niche so yeah. a lot of the brands i do write for um you know they're brands that i genuinely do like i genuinely do like i mean mm-hmm. you know they're brands that i buy a product from and they're brands that i'm always excited to see what they're doing so it's not like i get another it's not like i'll get an email from a client and think oh here we go gotta you know write this press release again yeah. or whatever it's you know it's a case of um being asked and almost feeling honored sometimes to kind of do the work that i do yeah um 
you know, because they're brands that I might have looked up to or sort of, yeah, I mean, looked up to. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's just, um, it's a it's a numbers game sometimes, but you got to just forget about forget about all that and just think really why you're why you're doing it. Yeah, hundred percent, hundred percent agree with that. Um, so just jumping into topic three, we've kind of covered it in dribs and drabs a little bit here and there. So we're going to jump into the art and craft of writing. So for people who who don't know, um, what was the initial creative spark that made you want to start your uh, website back in two thousand and fifteen? And also, how do you go about in two thousand fifteen starting a website? And did you know how to? Um, yeah, I mean, what initially? I mean, initially, I just started my website because. Um, as like purely as like a creative outlet so i mean like we mentioned earlier i really liked um clothing but i lived in um like a relatively rural part of oxfordshire um and you know i didn't really know of anyone at the time who was interested in the things that i did and if they were i wasn't i was definitely way too shy to go and talk to someone about you know about liking fashion or whatever um so yeah i just and i've always been like on the internet and whatever so um so yeah i just started my website using a tool called website builder and yeah. it's probably it's it's like super basic um they pretty much do all the legwork for you all you have to do is move a few text boxes around and whatnot um but i mean i've done it in school and i did media studies as well so i kind of knew um how to build a website a web sorry a website in in um in some capacity so i wasn't right. exactly starting from the beginning there it was just kind of an extension of um something that i'd done in the past I guess like another question I ask this quite a lot of the people I interview is like, what gave you the confidence to think, right, I'm going to do that. Like, that's just like, I don't care. Like that's something that I'm going to do. Um, yeah. I mean, I never really thought, I never really thought of it. Like I never really thought of it to be honest. It was just kind of, um, I'd grown up watching like a lot of like YouTube and mm. I don't think, I think YouTube was probably like the sole media I consumed. I wasn't reading many, many blogs at the time. Um, prior to I'm um, starting my website so I was consuming like a lot of YouTube from like fashion based YouTubers yeah um and I and there was no way I was going to stand in front of a camera um and <laughs> right. record something myself so and I def- and I definitely didn't have like any kind of content to any content to film in like um so yeah I just started like a, I just started my website I just decided to start writing about things um writing about maybe products I owned or um like certain releases and yeah, you know collections and stuff like that and i guess like had you been bitten by the writing bug before were you writing anything before that um i guess like you'd written stuff at school but i was thinking um i mean yeah i'd never done like any re- like real creative writing um before that to be honest it was just i'd always um i did a lot of the subjects i did at six form were all kind of essay based so i'd mm-hmm. obviously i'd been writing but never in like a creative um a creative way so i kind of had done a lot of, um, you know, like, like, like a lot of essay-based writing. So I kind of, you know, knew how to write, I suppose. But yeah. it was just um, finding the right content to to do it. And it it just kind of seemed to come naturally, to be honest. Mm. Um, I mean, I suppose I could probably, if I looked back on my first ever article that I put on my website, it's probably very mundane mm. um, and very, like, descriptive of whatever I was writing about. But you know, I think it just it just came naturally. I mean, it was just a case of putting two and two together of um, like previous um, essay based writing and then kind of like an interest in fashion and right. um, a fashion in fashion and footwear. 
following on from that, could you talk yeah. a little bit about, for like, um, say, from start to finish, can you talk me through like the creative process, how you go about writing like a new piece for your website? And one of the things I'd sort of reference here um, to help a little bit is the piece you wrote on the Solomon um, and Wanda um, XT6 and Odyssey. Um, because that's a article that I've read that you wrote um, very recently. So I just wonder what the creative process behind that is or what that looks like. So yeah, start to finish. Um, I mean, it obviously helps to have like a subject matter. So in this case, it was a collaboration between Solomon and Wanda. So that obviously helps. Um, And, you know, for stuff like this, sort of new releases, you'll have a press release to, with. I mean, in this case, it was quite like a basic sort of like skeletons um, press release to go by. So some just like product information and whatnot, um, release yeah. release information as well. Um, but yeah, I mean, I kind of just, I have quite like a, a structured approach to it. Well, yeah. not, a, yeah, kind of like a structured approach in how I like to um, um, approach articles of different lengths. So it's kind of shorter ones. Um, I always start with like a little bit of like, maybe just like a tiny little bit of history on like um, each brand. So, just background um and then introduce like the um introduce the subject of the article and then kind of like just go into like specifics about um what i'm writing about so just expanding on the um i mean like tom said it's it's so much easier to describe the start to finish from of um for like a small piece like that i mean when you're when you're talking about bigger bigger articles like you know one like two thousand three thousand words it starts to starts to get quite blurry so in yeah. you know for cases like that i just um normally i always start always start on google docs uh-huh. always start with a bulleted list um of points that i want to make or the po- or points the client wants to make right um and from you know from there i'll do a you know bring up a paragraph structure um one through whatever one through however many yeah um and yeah i mean you know when you structure it like that it just a lot of the times it it just seems to fall into place um which is which is quite lucky Hmm. um but yeah it's just it's just about having structure to be honest and and then filling in the blanks from there which is easier said than done because you know sometimes you've got sometimes it comes to you and then sometimes it just you know, it's just a it's just a blank, and there's and there's nothing there at all. And I guess um, some of the things I felt picked up on reading this particular article is there is a specific language and terminology um, of writing these pieces of content um, that I've picked on. Like, it, and I guess like speaking to like if you're going to describe like a colorway in a way that um, people, I guess like a, a universal audience is kind of going to get in a way. Like it has to be sort of like accessible to I guess to the general public um for for consumption is that something you sort of like work on in terms of like well how do you describe like a midsole or like the pattern or like the laces and that kind of thing and even like the more technologically advanced elements of these particular items is that something that you really kind of have to sort of simplify or just sort of break apart for people yeah i mean um i'm always quite conscious of that i'm always quite conscious of sort of not explaining things in layman's terms because I think that's quite sounds quite patronizing, but just yeah. kind of trying to explain um stuff in a way that's easily digestible, I suppose. Um because yeah. a lot of like the terminology can be very can be very daunting if you're reading about 
I don't know, let's say like three layer like technology, you might think like, what on earth is that? But you know, yeah. if you can kind of like break it down in a way that makes sense to people that, that, you know, that are reading it for the first time and they think, oh, okay, like I understand that, um, I understand what that is. I've always, you know, been, tr- I've always tried to, um, make things as easy to just digestible as possible instead of alienating people because i think when i read stuff as well like i mm. really i really i get lost really easily if you know if i'm not if i don't understand something i'll just think well i'm just not going to read it because it's just it just doesn't click so yeah if i can um you know if i can make something a little bit more understandable to someone while also um informing them then you know then my job's kind of done so i just want to move a little bit on to um working to client briefs which you spoke out a little bit earlier um and also i want to talk about actually the brief you got for the trust archive project which just dropped recently i was very curious about how that is actually particularly pitched to you on like is it through like email um and also how do you respond to something like that to a project like that yeah i mean um most of the time client briefs are it de- honestly honestly it depends who you work with so mm-hmm. sometimes sometimes some people are really vague and they'll say oh we need you to write this article blah 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 mm-hmm. um so i guess in a sense that's quite that that can be quite freeing but otherwise but weirdly you know the less information people give i always find that's a little bit more limiting because i'm not really sure oh, okay. what they expect of me you know as kind of as contradictory as that sounds you know and they're at polar opposites with each other sort of like being free and limited mm. um for the way i work i find a quite like a strict and out and clear client brief you know is so much easier for me to work to mm. um but yeah the trust archive thing um just trying to think i mean we started i started working with them last february um, and I think I just got an Instagram DM off them and they were like, look, we're building this, like we're building this platform and it's going to have all these like archive pieces of clothing. And like from then, from there, I was like hooked immediately. I was like, this is, this is everything I've always wanted to like, this is like a platform I've always wanted to access. So, yeah. you know, having hundreds of designers at your fingertips and thousands of like garments that you can just search through, you can filter by category, by designer, by like a year. Um, but I mean, and the brief they gave, I don't think, I don't think there really was much brief to be honest from them. Um, we had like a, like a little bit of back and forth on zoom, um, and whatnot. And we kind of like outlined or, and like established a perimeter for, um, for the garments that I wanted to pick out, but they were really just I think that they kind of just really liked my um, vision and kind of like my style. Right. Um, so yeah, they kind of just wanted me to sort of do my own thing and just pick out what I wanted really, which was really great because it sort of just allowed me to, yeah, just to be really free creative, um, creatively. Yeah. Um, and I basically just curated all, you know, pieces of design, footwear, accessories, um, outerwear, obviously. Um, I just kind of curated a whole a whole load of stuff. I think we I think we picked out fifty pieces. There was going to be a hundred, yeah, um, initially, but we ended at fifty. Um, but yeah, I mean, some clients are just really um, just easy to work with, um, and it just clicks. Whereas sometimes it can be a little bit more a little bit more of a teething process, depending on who you work with. Um, 
and yeah, I mean, it's 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 frustrating at times when um, when clients are blase, I suppose, and not really, okay. and don't really give you a lot. Um, but I mean, it's just a case of being patient, just teasing out as much as you can, right? Um, and kind of working around that. But I haven't had many. Um, I haven't had many mishaps so far. I okay. mean, I've, yeah, I've had some very stressful situations where, um, where you know, client briefs have maybe mi- been misinterpreted by me. Oh, okay. Um, you know, and it calls for work calls at like nine o'clock at night. Oh, wow. And you know, the, it needs to be handed in in the morning. It's just, um, yeah, you've just got to be patient a lot of the time. <laughs> And something I've sort of heard you spoke about as well is the fact the stuff you write for clients and also the, th- the things you write for your website. I was kind of interested between, um, like, say, a, a client brief versus the kind of work that you do as well. And the joy, the, and that's really the joy, but like the, the different things you get from, say, working to a client brief versus you solely writing for your website. What's the difference between those two things, would you say? Um writing for a website is definitely more um it's definitely more satisfying i'd say um and more it's easy writing for my website, yeah it's definitely more satisfying because i can kind of just let my style let my natural um sort of more informal style flow mm-hmm. um fine whereas working to a client brief can just be a little bit i mean it's it's fine i mean it's nothing it's fine i mean you have to you kind of have to do it but it's just a little bit more um just requires that bit more energy but when you know when someone's paying you to do it you've got to do it and you've got to kind of do it to you know the standard that you expect of yourself and then the standard they expect of you as well right um um so yeah i mean it's just yeah I, i definitely prefer writing for my my own website but Sometimes it's um, sometimes a lot of the clients I work for are um, they're in the same space, so it's it doesn't it doesn't feel too taxing. It's right, you know, it's it's enjoyable nonetheless. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to ask you a bit of an unfair question here. What's been the best thing you've written so far, and why? Okay, maybe not the best, but maybe the immediately comes to my mind. Maybe not the best, but the thing I'm most proud of would be an article I wrote. Um, which was like a history of the North Face um, article, and it was, it was, it was pretty big, yeah. um, and that was for a client. But at the same time, like, yeah, it was for a client. But at the same time, it was, um, yeah, it was just really enjoyable to work on. I got to um, mm. un- sort of like unpack all this stuff that happened like, in the early days of the North Face, and like, you know, just what's got them to where they are today. You know, they're like a massive, massive company. Yeah. Um. So that was. So that was really great, but it's just a. I think it's because it's maybe it's my most proud of one because it's one that I've referred back to um, since publishing it. So uh, I'm just going to move on to topic four, which was industry bits. So just some hot takes um, <laughs> um, for you here. So do you think living and working outside of London has helped or hindered your career so far, or does a location even matter in 2022? I'm going to answer the last bit first, and I'm going to say. From from what in my opinion, location doesn't really matter, but that might just be me me skewed because I've I've only ever I've only ever worked remotely. I've only ever worked from home, um. So like this is what I know, and I think that having only ever worked from home, 
I've just kind of made, um, just kind of like made use of what I've got. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I kind of just worked around not um, working remotely and not being in an office or whatever. Um, but would it have helped or hindered? I think, I don't think it, I don't think it hindered, but it, I think it might have slowed it down um, quite, quite considerably because I could have just, I've said this to people before, like I could have easily, um, well, maybe not easily, but yeah. I could have moved to London and got like a job, um, um, job in like the fashion industry, maybe as like an intern or something, yeah. um, maybe as like a writer or whatever, but um, yeah, so it definitely slowed it down, but I wouldn't say it hindered hindered it yeah um but then i'm not sure if it would have helped it either to be honest (laughs) (laughs) um yeah it's interesting i guess we're now of a generation uh that you can you know the technology is caught up to the fact that you can create these cultural like touchstones and impact you know thousands hundreds of thousands of people if not millions with your work and you don't need to be in these centralized cities so that's very exciting i guess that's the paradigm shift in a sense as well yeah for sure i mean it's kind of just like you said, I think it's just I think the pandemic pandemic definitely opened mm. people's eyes up to um, this idea that we you know you don't need to go into the office five days a week. So whether you go in now two days a week or or whatever, um, I know some people love it and some people some people hate it. But I mm. think it's just I think it might be the way that you know things are sort of moving into a more flexible kind of working pattern that suits mm. um, suits employees over over tradition. Um, so just moving on to the next question, have you ever found yourself at an industry event being flexed on by full fit Arteryx clout chasers? And if so, how did you handle the situation? Um, I, I haven't, no, I haven't. <laughs> Luckily, I've never been in that, never been in that position that I've, um, that I've been attacked by a load of Arteryx wielding soldiers. I guess that's a bit, sort of a tongue-in-cheek question, but there is an. I guess that there is an element of this, and and I guess it's not just sort of like fashion. It's like all. I guess, for want of a better word, all centralized sort of like tribes around certain cultural um, objects, where it could be like record collecting, where you don't have this like really uh, rare like white label, or you haven't seen like Morrissey like seven times. You know, there's very within these you find these sort of like gatekeepers or people that kind of want to keep it sort of special. And one of the things that points I kind of wanted to raise here, and especially with your work and the stuff I've listened to, there's not even like a hint. Um, in terms of the stuff you write about it's very readily accessible and there isn't a hint of oh this isn't for you this is a sense of like i get the passion and love you have for the items in themselves rather than say like the cachet or a law of them um, which people can get caught up in yeah i mean yeah i mean definitely in like the space that the space that i'm in there's there's a lot of people that want to um gatekeep and i've probably triggered some of them just by some of the stuff i've posted on my page before i know there's a lot of people that want to keep certain things hidden for whatever reason but yeah to me i've never really i've never really understood understood the point in that i mean i think you know if if you're gatekeeping you're just making things inaccessible to to um to people unnecessarily Uh, yeah and i guess like um i've heard you say in a um a couple of podcasts you can't talk about some of the work you've done for certain big brands and i guess just following on from that why do you think there is such a need for for secrecy i guess like in technical outwear and i guess generally within the fashion industry it is quite opaque and it is quite secretive the things that go on there 
Um, I think a lot of it's just because I think the fast. I think it's a lot of the time I'm just bound by NDA. So like right. legally, I'm legally not allowed to say anything. Yeah. Um, and because the industry, fashion industry as well, kind of adheres to a calendar that is normally working. What is it like six to six to like nine months behind? You kind of can't really ever. Oh, you're not really right, ever yeah. in a position to say anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's not that. It's not that I. Um, it's not that I'm not allowed to. It's not that it's like secrecy, but it's just mm. sort of like in a lot of other industries, you're just bound by sort of legal legal parameters that you can't say anything. And uh, so just moving on, why was it important for you to creatively expand beyond your website and Instagram account and start your podcast, Technically Professionals, uh, with your friends Trees and Nylon? Um, mainly because... I dabbled in like I've done I don't know how many podcasts I've done before or like how many podcast appearances I've done in the lead up to that maybe like three or four but mm-hmm. it was just a platform that I was really starting to enjoy um expressing and I'd, I'd never um up until that point I'd kind of always just been behind I'd always kind of just been this person behind a screen um like as a writer so no one ever had heard me speak and yeah you know I was kind of hesitant at the start to hesitant hesitant in the beginning to pr- give interviews to people um just because I was a little bit shy but now that I've done it I'm kind of just like you know it, it's it's just fun to kind of explore a different yeah. different way to express yourself I'd say in sh- in short really mm-hmm. um but then at the same time it's just it's just a really it's just it's just fun like we just have a laugh on there um we just talk a lot of shit, um, have some banter, yeah, and whatever. To be honest, I mean, it's just, it's just, it's an outlet. It's not really a creative outlet. It's more of just like a, like a personal outlet to, right. um, to kind of just say what I want for, or for both of us to say what we want outside of our kind of like professional, professional um, careers in the industry. It's just a, it's just a nice break from that, which I think everyone, everyone kind of needs. I mean. Um, you know, it's quite a serious industry at some at, at times. So just to have, just to talk to someone for an hour and a half and or hour and a half to two hours or whatever, once a month, record it and then upload it. You know, yeah. it's just, it's just a little bit of fun. And finally, my last question for you is: What is your dream project if money and time wasn't an object? Can that be like? Can this be outside of like writing and fashion? Yeah, anything. Because I can, I can definitely think of a couple. I can think of a couple off the top of my head. I think, um, I haven't really touched on it, but I'm like a big um, athletics enthusiast, oh, and nice. I love running. Um, oh, cool. So that's something I do a couple of times a week when I can find the time to do it. So I think I'd love to, um, I'd love to just do some like wacky races um, in the UK and like abroad. Mm-hmm. Um, there's one. There's one way you can like run the length of the Thames path, which is which always intrigued me. You can do the Ridgeway. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think you know they're kind of things I want to do in the in the future. But I think like a project of money and time was an object. I um, think I'd like to maybe like do like a car restoration or something like that. Oh, nice. That'd be pretty yeah. cool. Um, I was watching a thing with a guy who does the Gumball 3000 and he had restored, I think it was some Lotus or an Aston Martin through Asprey, which is an upholstery uh, company. And I think they do like glassware and all sorts. So in terms of your restoration, and I guess this is maybe a little unfair as well, bringing it back to design. So if you're going to do the interior of this restored car, is there a particular brand or aesthetic that you would outfit this car? And also what would be the car? um okay well the interior 
I would def- this one's a bit of like a um, this is like quite an easy cop out, but the interior I'd get designed by a Dutch textile manufacturer called by by bore or mm. or by bore rails or something like that yeah and they do like this crazy 3d knit um and they did a they've done like furniture and they've done um they did like an interior for a bmw concept car right um so that would be really good i encourage you tom and anyone else listening to go check out those guys byb o-r-r-e um like crazy knit Mm-hmm. So that would be like a good interior for a car for the upholstery on the on the seats and whatnot. But I think I'm either torn between doing like a like a classic Porsche maybe oh, or nice. like a or like a um like a Land Rover Defender build. I think that'd be pretty cool. Something quite yeah. utilitarian, like a roof rack on the top. Mm. Um, you know, it's kind of like uh, dystopian, some sort of like dystopian vehicle that's you know post-apocalyptic or whatever. That'd be pretty cool. Um, well, that leads me uh, nicely um, to ask you, where can people check out your articles, interviews, features and podcast and follow you on social media? OK, so best place for best place for all of it is probably on my Instagram, which is at Ali George Hinkins. Um, and then articles um, can be found on my website, which is www.alligeorgehinkins.com. Um, and... And yeah, I mean, I'm pretty, pretty regular on, oh, I'm very regular on my Instagram and mm-hmm. I'm pretty regular on my website. So they're kind of two good little, they're two good places to um, start if you're looking to, looking to follow along with what I'm up to. 